0: Konnichiwa, Nihon Cricket Pod do yokoso. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Japan Cricket Podcast. First up, I should apologize for the break between pods of late. It's been pretty busy with some actual cricket taking place at the Japan Cricket HQ in the last few weeks, which has kept all of us pretty under the pump. Uh, I'll get round to talking about today's guests shortly, but since the last show, we've had the small matter of the Japan Premier League take place. And despite the weather doing its very best to disrupt matters, the tournament did get enough games on to give us a winner, and that was the East Kanto Sunrisers. It was a second victory for the Sunrisers in the JPL, their first coming back in 2019, and it was hard-earned in the end. On day one, they were shot out for just 82 in 15.5 overs in their matchup with the South Kanto Super Kings. However, they fought back hard, and although the Super Kings looked well on course at 45 for one, two wickets for Kento Alto de Bell opened the door, and suddenly it was mayhem in the Super Kings ranks. Wickets started to tumble, and at the same time, the rain began to fall. 45 for one became 57 for five, and as the rain got heavier, the Duckworth Lewis calculators came out. However, nobody could quite keep up with the action, and at the start of the 19th over, the Super Kings needed 10 runs with four wickets in hand and were ahead on the DL par score, only for Sanjaya Yapabandara to sneak one through Kumar Rangasamy to put the score at 74-7 for when the umpires took the players off. It then transpired that with the fall of that wicket, the Sunrisers had edged ahead by a single run on the DL score and would end up being awarded the win. That mattered because ultimately the final was washed out. And although both teams would go on to be undefeated for the rest of the tournament, the final that would have been a rematch didn't take place. And so the trophy was awarded to the team that finished top of the group stage, which was the Sunrisers. On such small margins, can tournaments be won and lost? The Super Kings did take home all the individual awards, however, with today's guest, Alex Shurai Patmore, taking home the best batter award. Piyush Kambare the best bowler and Sabarish Ravichandran, the tournament MVP. The North Kanto Lions were a much improved side and ended up in third place, well-captained by Ryo Saklano-Thomas and backed up in the batting by Lockton Yamamoto-Lake and Shotaro Hilatsuka with the ball. Away from the JPL, the Japan Cricket League Division 1 has been beset by rain as well since I last recorded. Round 3 managed just two matches out of six, uh, with Tokyo Rangers coming out all smiles as they managed to knock over the Tokyo Falcons by five wickets chasing down the Falcons' score of 179 all-out. Kasan Ganesh with 3 for 16 for the Rangers, and Anubhav Srivatsava making 52 for the Falcons. A half-century from Sakib Hassan set the Rangers on their way, and that win puts them top of the table, despite having played a game less than most other teams. Early days, of course, but they have made a great start to life in Division 1. In the other match to be completed, the Alpha Quashers earned a good win over the men in blue, mainly thanks to an outstanding opening spell from Gurman Singh, who bowled his full eight overs on the trot, which included five maidens, and he picked up two for seven, as MIB were reduced to 32 for six in the 20th over. There was a recovery of sorts, but a total of 132 is rarely enough in the top flight, and 39 from Rohit Kasari was enough to lay the foundations of a successful chase for the Quashers. We got home with three wickets and more than ten overs to spare to earn a valuable bonus points and a first win of the season. As always, I like to take a glance around the other results, and there's a lot of T20 stuff going on in the Japan Cup, which can all be followed on the JCA app. So do download that if you haven't already. Uh, one game that really stood out though was in JCL Division Two between Kawasaki Night Riders' first eleven and the Wyvern second eleven. It was not a good day for the Wyverns' bowlers, as Shabam Shukla, fresh from a pretty disappointing JPL for both him and the West Counter Hurricanes, struck the highest score in 10 years in the competition and the fourth highest ever with a, brace yourselves, 94-ball, 171 runs. He smacked a ridiculous 14 sixes and combined with Naveen Gore, who himself made 123, put on an opening stand of 303 in 29.2 overs. Now, I don't have the records for opening partnerships in Division 2, but I'm going to hedge my bets and say that's the biggest. Certainly, I don't remember seeing a 300-run partnership across any of the cricket played in Japan in my time here. So, well played, those two guys. Needless to say, they won the game pretty comfortably, and Shukla even picked up the final wicket to seal victory. There's also been a lot of women's cricket, with the J Bash All-Stars up and running. In the first match, Haruna Iwasaki stole the show with a 47-ball 74, while Shrinali Renard grabbed 4-for-24 as Team Pink made 162-for-5 and then restricted Team Yellow to 142-for-2, despite 57 not out from Nao Tokizawa. In the second match, Iwasaki was in the runs again, this time making 85-off-65 balls to help her team post 154-for-2. Hilia Shandell was the standout bowler with one for 17 amidst mayhem, but that total proved well short as Erika Oda and Mai Yanagida put on a 94 run opening partnership before Mai was dismissed by Iwasaki for 46. Erika would go on to finish 93 not out from 54 balls, which was a career best for her. Those games are all streamed live on the JCA YouTube channel. So do go and check them out. You'll also find highlights of the JPL matches that were completed on there as well. Now. On to my guest this week: Alex Shilai Patmore. This interview was recorded back in the depths of winter, and it turned out to be, I think, at least, quite a significant one, as Alex hinted that he was keen to return to the Japan national setup, and that led to some further conversations along with his attendance at the Japan National Squad trials in March, before he was indeed brought back into the squad in April, which is the first time, I think, in around eight years. At that time, just nine players were named ahead of a hectic schedule of JPL cricket, followed by a three-day training camp during Golden Week. And the final squad was announced last week, which seems to have got people talking and created a bit of genuine excitement around the talent available to Japan at the moment, which can only be a good thing. Uh, Do go onto the JCA website or socials and have a look at the squad. 24 players have been named this time. And uh, yeah, should be a busy season ahead. More on that for another time, though. Uh, But for now, do enjoy hearing Alex's story. It's a bit longer than most of my episodes. But given Alex's experiences, I think there's plenty in here for anyone interested in the Japanese game. Right then, I'm joined today by a cricketer who has quite the CV in Japan cricket circles. Since the Japan Cricket League Team of the Year was formed in 2015, uh, this player has featured six out of seven times. In the 2013 Japan Cup finals, he was named Player of the Tournament. He's been the Japan Cricket League best batter three times 2015, 16, and last year in 2021 when he averaged over 100. He's Japan International Cap number 66. Mr. Alex Patmore, welcome onto the Japan Cricket Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Alan. My uh, pleasure to do it. Cool.
0: Well, mate, let's um get straight into things. I like to start at the beginning in these chats. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your early life and your backgrounds sort of where you were born and, uh, where your parents are from and things like that.
1: Yeah. So try to keep this as brief as possible. Uh, I was, I was born in Japan, born in Tokyo. Um, and, uh, after nine months, uh, my family upsticks and went back to, went back to the UK. Um, my mum's uh, Japanese, my, my father's, father's British. They met over here. Um, had my sister nine years before me. So they, they, they were living here for a long time.
0: So no real memories of Japan in the early days then?
1: Uh, no, my first memories would have been probably about five or six years old when we came back for a family trip. So
0: did you come back and forth a bit as a kid?
1: Uh, just a couple of times. Um, but yeah, those sort of, um, really memorable sort of, uh, family trips, um, back, uh, a totally different place to, to growing up in the UK, obviously, mm. um,
0: Okay. So when did you come back to Japan then? Like when did you move here sort of full-time?
1: Um, so the first time I came back as an, a, as an, athlete, um, I just, um, I'd finished university. I got my teaching degree taught for a little bit in, in the UK and just wanted to, to come out and I'd never lived outside of, uh, the UK. So I wanted to experience living in another country and, and also to sort of, uh, connect with, uh, some of my Japanese roots, which mm. apart from a couple of family family visits, um, I didn't really have. So uh, I came out in uh, 2010 for, for six months, um, just as a as sort of a gap year, um, and, and went back to the UK, uh, went and worked again uh, in, in, in Sheffield, in, in Yorkshire, um, but realized that uh, I wanted to spend more time in Japan and, and, and came back again uh, late 2011. Uh, again, which was supposed to be for um, perhaps a year. And, and here we are in 2022. So common, exactly. common story I think for many, many of us.
0: Cool. Okay. So then let's talk about your cricket background.
1: Uh, I'm guessing you, you
0: learned all your cricket in the UK. So can you tell us a bit about your earliest memories of the sport and when you first picked up a bat?
1: So uh, I've been told apparently that, um, even, you know, as, as a toddler, I'd just sort of sit there on, on, on the sofa watching, watching the test cricket with my dad mm-hmm. and granddad and, and family. So don't have any memories of that but uh, one first one of my earliest memories i think is uh, coming back from the supermarket with a, a little plastic or, or wooden cricket set that you can buy in, in in shops in england just you know sort of three stumps uh, a little bat and tennis ball uh, painted and just playing in the garden with that all day i must have been sort of maybe 3 or 4 years old or something something like that apparently i played in the garden all day i uh, got heat stroke was in bed the next day with a high <laughs> fever and then, um, the following day was back out in the garden. So, um, it was my, yeah, before, before any other sports, football or, um, anything, anything else, uh, cricket was, um, the first thing I got into. So. so you
0: would have come through the English system then. Um, I guess there's probably quite a few of our listeners who don't really know how that structure works. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your playing career, if you like, in England through to, I guess, university before you, you start traveling again.
1: Yeah, you're right. I don't think there's too many, uh players in Japan who have come through the English system, maybe more sort of Australian, New Zealand, and people you've had on your podcast talk about um, those, those systems. So um, it, it really varies as well, depending where you are in, in the UK. Uh, so I grew up in Norfolk, which is uh, a minor county. Um, you have sort of the 18 first-class county, counties in the, in the professional system. Um, and and then you have um, all the others uh, known as minor counties. I think they've been rebranded to national counties. Or something have they? Recently.
0: I might have missed that. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm from Cornwall, right? So Cornwall was very much a minor county as well.
1: I can't remember if it was Cornwall, but uh, I think Devon is uh, mm-hmm. Devon always quite quite strong minor counties um, as, as well. So, um, yeah, growing up in Norfolk, it, I think the rest of the country sees it as a backwater, uh, not, not, not just for cricket <laughs> as well, but lovely part of the world. Um with actually um one of a really really strong sort of cricketing set up throughout the uh, throughout the region. so um i went to uh, went to state school, so there there wasn't really much cricket there. Um, and my cricket was introduced through um through local clubs. so i I, I started out at, at at the most local club, maybe about six or seven years old, um got taken along um, and then went to went to one of the sort of the when I was about 14, I think, I uh, went to one of the sort of, one of the bigger sort of regional clubs um, uh, in Norfolk uh, called Vauxhall Mallards. And uh, they, they've, they've had quite a few players come through, um, th- through the system, played, played there until I went off to university in Sheffield um, and joined a, joined a cricket team uh, in up there uh, called Sheffield Collegiate, which has had a, had a few um, notable players down the years as well.
0: And, uh, I imagine that must've been quite a shift because, you know, they, uh, they like it tough up north, not like us soft southerners play a different brand of cricket yeah. up there. Was that a bit of a culture shock?
1: So what I'd been, what I'd been hearing, um, was that, uh, you know, so, so, so down south, um, we, we, we don't really get to, we didn't get much chance to play, uh, to play sort of the Northern nor, Northern counties, even through sort of junior age group stuff it was, it was rare that we'd sort of be, uh. In our in our sort of southern part of uh, of England, so when I went up there, I was expecting a lot of um, yeah a lot of tough cricket, a lot of sort of uh, grisly sort of um, northern stereotypes. Yeah, should we say? Um, but but actually, in, in fact, at uh, the league, I, was, I, I found myself playing in the York, Yorkshire uh, Yorkshire Premier League. There wasn't actually that much um, um, much different uh, in terms of uh, in terms of standard, um, but in terms of also, um, attitude, but, um, I, uh, 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 I consider myself fortunate to, have, um, to have sort of played in, uh, a couple of different, um, cricketing cultures back in, back in England.
0: Now over here, you've always been a, a wicketkeeper batsman. Was that always the case? Were you a keeper first or were you a batter first or how did that evolve?
1: Um, well, just, just being a. Since young, just you want to kind of do everything uh, when you're playing in the garden. Um, so actually, I I made my I got into the um, sort of the, into the the Norfolk the county age group system as uh, a leg spinning all rounder. Okay. Um, so my first my first game for Norfolk, I was selected uh, to bowl bowl leg spin, uh, and I came in at number nine. So I was uh, a number nine and uh, bowl. I think I took uh, maybe one for twenty yard off the quite expensive, but, um, we had a collapse and came in and sort of, um, guided us over the line. I still have quite vivid memories of that, that first game when you, you get, you get sort of the, uh, you get the, the, the county shirt and, and the cap and yeah, right, I think this is, think you're walking out to play for test cricket or something like that. It's a big, big moment for a 10 year old, so oh, definitely. Yeah, did, yeah, did the leg spin and Tried to try to do everything, uh, for as long as possible. Leg spin, keeping wicket and, and batting as well. Um, and then finally yipped up or gave the leg spin away around about 14 or 15. And it's now absolutely dreadful.
0: That sounds very familiar. I have a very similar tale of my own. I was very much a leg spinner in my early days and had a fair bit of success. And then yeah, got the yips at about 16 and uh, went back to the very military mediums which, uh, have not been seen for quite some time, thankfully. Um, but yeah, so then you, you've been opening the batting over here. Is that, was that a gradual process that you kind of worked your way up the order?
1: Uh, I think the first I'd never, I'd see myself as, a, as an opener when I was, a, when I was a kid and, um, the first person, the first time I was, I was put into open, I think it would have been for Norfolk under 12s. Uh, I'd been a middle order batsman, uh, when I, the year before and they just saw something in me before I saw it in myself and, um, shoved, shoved me out to open the batting and just remember being incredibly nervous about it, not wanting to do it. Um, But, uh, from then on, um, people, people saw something in me that they thought, yeah, I could, I could go in and sort of back in those days with the red ball, see off the red ball and, and, and get through and, um, build a platform in, in those longer forms of cricket, whether it's 40, 50. 55 over cricket, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it was a gradual thing. I don't think it was natural, but, uh, it seems to be where I've I found myself for most of, most of my playing career. Yeah.
0: So your club cricket in England, then what were you predominantly playing? Was it long limited overs games? Like, you know, say 55, we used to play 60 over games in England at one point. I think we even played 65 overs at some one point, but, um, did you play any multi-day cricket or was it predominantly limited overs?
1: Yeah, so. There isn't just sort of one, I think there's, there's more drive towards like homogenizing the, the system in, in England these days with 50 over cricket, um, played on Saturdays in, in league cricket. But yeah, I just remember back in Norfolk, the, the sort of the Norfolk, uh, cricket leagues, they, they were, they were sort of 50 over, 50 over cricket, or, so, um, maybe the, the lower down you went they would go down to about 45, but the, the East Anglian premier, premier division, so the made up of three or four counties in the east of England. They played, yeah, 120 over cricket, which yeah. was, uh, the first the team batting first could, uh, could bat for about 72 overs if they wished. Um, yeah. and so was, there was some sort of declaration tactics involved. Um, and then up in, in Yorkshire in, in, the Yorkshire premier league, it was 55 over cricket when I was playing. So quite long days, um, yeah. taught you how to build an in innings mm. and then a bit of, bit of two day cricket came in, um, with the county stuff, uh, around, I think under 17s, Um uh, and they placed a two day competition. Um, uh, so, so those, those are always experiences when you're 17, group of you and your mates traveling to the other side of the, to the other side of the country, you know, staying in a hotel for a couple of nights, mm. coming back the next day to, to carry on playing. So yeah, a little bit of experience, um, playing two day cricket.
0: Do you think that's a really good grounding in terms of like refining a technique and getting actually to know how you play compared to these days where basically kids are just sort of thrown into T20 stuff and the guy who's got natural hand-eye coordination st- stands out. And a lot of other people might not, um, might not get noticed. and might not get the opportunity to have that grounding, as you mentioned, of having time to back.
1: I think so. Um, I think I'm probably biased in, in favor of that opinion. Um, when I grew up T20 was, it was, you know, it was a, it was a midweek, uh, evening, um, um, play for fun kind of thing before any sort of professional, uh, competition started, t- started popping up. So, uh, I certainly think so. I think it, it, to me, that's sort of the, uh, purer form of cricket. Um, and I think sort of the, the, the newer stuff, uh, might've been slightly left behind um, with it. So definitely in terms of what it, mm. what it builds in terms of perhaps character, they always talk about, you know, test cricket being, um, sort of the ultimate test of character, um, not just skill, but even with 50 over 50 over cricket, um, longer form cricket, I think, um, it, it, it builds up, not just, um, a desire to sort of see the pool crashing over the boundaries and, and things like that. And um, I think it uh, teaches sort of patience and um, sort of how to construct an innings. Definitely. Yeah. Kind of stuff that cricket was always kind of held up as, you
0: know, being the, the best example of, isn't it? Of those, just kind of patience and waiting for the right ball to come
1: along. Whereas these days it's doesn't matter what the ball looks like. It's got to go. Um, I'm, I'm careful to, to sound too much like a dinosaur and, and things were better back in, back in my day, <laughs> but, uh, certainly I, I even, even, even playing today. Um, I feel, I feel I know more about cricket when it's, um, the 40 over or longer formats than, than the 20. I'm still Mm. sort of trying to, trying to come to grips with it.
0: Anyway, we'll fast forward a little bit to cricket in Japan. Um, so you said you came over here kind of permanently around 2011. Was that when you kind of discovered cricket in Japan? How did you find out about the game here? Were you expecting anything to be here when you came?
1: So the first inkling I had of there being cricket in Japan was I think it was about two thousand and two thousand eight. I was watching a, a test match between uh, England and I think it was South Africa. It was just on the TV, and I think it was at Lords. And maybe there's other people who can verify this, but they 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 panned to one of the um the the boxes at Lords, and the commentator said, "We have uh, the J- Japan national cricket team uh, in attendance today," and just uh, I I couldn't believe it. I I never um, could have imagined. Um, that there was cricket in Japan. So that was the first, um, inkling that uh, I had that there was cricket in Japan. Um, and so when I, when I came to Japan, I, I did a quick Google and, um, just contacted, um, the JCA, um, and said that, um, Hey, um, play cricket in England. I've got Japanese, um, heritage. Um, is there anything available? So first. First thing, I think uh, Alex Miyagi, he met me near Tokyo Station, um, introduced himself and explained about cricket in Japan, and um, and things went from there. Uh, I've got two two early memories. The first one is a, a nas- Japan national training session on the roof of Nishimachi International School in in downtown Tokyo, and it was at night, and you sort of the Roppongi skyline uh, as a backdrop, and I remember just sort of standing there with. The, getting ready to play cricket and thinking how, how crazy that was. Um, so that, that's bad, bad. isn't it? So yeah, that, and, uh, and your other earliest memory, uh, and the other, the other earliest memory would be my first, first game down at Fuji for the Wombats, uh, that must've been a couple months, a couple months later, uh, in early, early April. So
0: how did you end up playing for the Tokyo Wombats and what are your earliest memories of being in that team being part of the club?
1: So it goes back to the uh, Nishimachi training session that that uh, I went to, and um, at, at that training session, at the time, uh, was a uh, a big burly Australian from Perth called Jared Shearer. Um, you might have heard of him. And I got chatting, got chatting, got chatting away to him, and I'd explained at the time. Uh, he might have mentioned this in in his podcast episode, but uh, I got chatting to him, and I'd explained that I was thinking about perhaps joining joining Adore uh, one of the other clubs there. And, uh, he said, uh, how about you think about the Tokyo Wombats? We're a predominantly Australian team. Come and come along and, and have a go. So that's, that's the path I ended up taking. Could have been a very different, uh, path or, or last 10 years mm-hmm. um, had I not followed uh, the grumpy Wombat and yeah, a couple months later, there's a, there's my first game down at Fuji against Adore as it turns out, um, which was, which was very interesting, um. And we got rolled for a hundred. So tell us about that game. Um, so just for any player coming to Japan, the first you know, I see it every time we have new new members join every year. Um, jumping in the jumping in the van, heading down to Fuji, um, stepping out and and, and sort of seeing the Fuji back backdrop and scarcely believing you're about to play a play a game of cricket in Japan. So it it's all quite surreal. Um and then Playing against a team of of Japanese players as well it is is again something that you don't expect to to ever happen so it's it's all quite surreal. It's all scarcely believable. Um, and then we we go out to bat uh, I think I was I think I might have been opening with with Jared, uh, which again was an experience in itself. Uh, never been used to <laughs> even leave, leaving a couple of balls outside of off, off stump through to the keeper and and being encouraged and um, being told I was doing well at the other end, isn't, isn't something I was used to in, in, in England, <laughs> sort of the, uh, sort of the constant commentary that we were, we were batting, we were batting fine. And, um, I remember just sort of Jared also say his bang with that helmet and he, he, sort of tried to cut one behind point and he bottom-edged it into the, into the AstroTurf straight back into his mouth. So there's, was, there was some blood on the pitch, uh, <laughs> but he was fine. He carried on, um. And then uh, I drove, I was, I, was, I was facing, I drove one uh, back past the bowler, but it sort of um, hit, hit Jared in, in sort of the shoulder or the chest, uh, ricocheted over to mid on. I still called him through for a run, uh, which was tight. And uh, I think we, we back in those days, we had self-umpiring. And um, I think it, uh, Ronnie Stalwart, Stalwart of Japan cricket might have been uh, on his phone or something like that at square leg. Here's here's a here's a big appeal. Jared was just about in, um, but panics and, and and gives him out. So running Jared out in my first game, uh, then a, a quite a dramatic win. Ronnie actually goes and takes five wickets to, to help us beat Adore. Um, kind of laid the foundations for um, lots of lots of lots of banter, lots of abuse, and uh, good times uh, with the one bats ever since then.
0: Yeah, we heard a lot about that in, in season one with Jared telling us about the history of the fun the on the Wombats bus and, and all that. So, yeah, you said that um, that first experience kind of cemented your relationship with the Wombats group Club. And, you know, you've been part of it now for, yeah, 10 years, I guess, coming into 11 now. And um, what's been the challenges? I know that you've been part of the committee there. You, you've captained the club in, in previous seasons. What have you found to be I guess the, the best things about doing it, but also the, the biggest challenges you've encountered. Uh,
1: the best things are obviously making, making friends, um, with, again, coming back to just playing cricket in Japan, making friends with people that, uh, you'd never have, have even met had you, uh, not moved to another country or, or taken up the sport, um, when you came here. So, um, cricket, it's, it's always been my pathway to so sort of making friends and um, involving myself in, in a community, whether it was back in England, um, or here in, here in Japan. So the best things, yeah, make, making friends and, and meeting people from all over the world, uh, one bass has become a lot more diverse in terms of the, um, countries, um, that the players come from. So that's been great. Um, the challenge has, has always been, it's, it's been a small club and, and, and keeping sort of keep keeping the numbers up and, um, in my opinion, the, the quality of the, the Japan Cricket League has, has has steadily increased over the last few years. So, trying to, trying to sort of balance that sort of club uh, ethos that we have that we we like to um, be a be a different club to to all the others and and contribute um, to that sort of diversity in the league. But at the same time, trying to trying to keep the quality, um, remain competitive uh, uh, as well. At the same time,
0: yeah, I think Wombat has done a pretty good job with that. I mean. Certainly helped by the amount of runs that yourself and and your your opening batting partner last year, Richie Bracefield, seemed to um, seemed to regularly appear in the top ten run scorers of the, of the league and mentioned at the top of the top of the chat your your own records and the the best batter uh, achievements and and team of the year pretty much every year. Um, I guess it's good to hear you say that you feel the standards improved. So, as an experienced cricketer from the UK, where would you put the Japan Cricket League now compar- in comparison to the standard you play at home?
1: That's a, that's a really tough question to, um, to be able to answer with, with confidence. And it's something I've always, I've always thought about, um, including my time with the, the national team, where if, if we were playing um, in, in sort of the cricket yeah. section back home, whereabouts would they, would, would they fall? So, yeah, listening to Jared's one, where um, we have different opinions on, on the standard of cricket, um, and, and how it's gone. I, 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 wasn't here in the, the earlier days in the, in the late, um, in the late noughties, but certainly from 2012, thinking back to that first game, um, I think the last few years, the uh, um, the standard has, has definitely increased with, um, with the expansion of the competition, so many more teams that that 2012, that first season, I think there were just six teams. I think it was a, a one, one division league with, mm. with six teams, um, and now, you know, you've got a three, three division competition with practically about, yeah, about three your teams this year. year. So not, not to say that all of it, all of it is, 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 is improved, but, um, definitely I think uh, that the, the, the top division, not just in terms of quality, but in terms of how it's run and organized, um, I've seen sort of big, big improvements, um, where it would fall. Um, it's, it's really hard to say. I was, I was thinking about the, um. But some of the national stuff and playing against sort of Papua New Guinea, which was probably the highest ranked team Japan um usually gets to mm. gets to play against. And this is probably controversial. Uh, um, it's not based on too much, but just thinking about the the bowlers and batters I saw. They might be um either sort of a a minor county team or a very um a very, very, very good or strong sort of Premier League, um, team, um, that, that'd be sort of where I put it with, with Japan, uh, with the JCL.
0: I think it's, it's difficult, right? Because you, you look at the JCL and there is every club has got at least two or three really pretty good players now. So I think if you're picking a, a JCL best 11, you know, it would be good to see how that would go, whether that would be able to compete. Yeah, you know, minor county standards is, is an interesting um, sort of place to look at it. I guess Premier Cricket in Australia or maybe, maybe a step below that. It's always interesting just to get people's take because, um, you know, a lot of people playing here haven't seen cricket outside of either Japan or just Japan and their home country. So it's always interesting just to get other people's takes on that. Um, I guess... From someone who has been around now for the best part of ten years and, and seen the changes and seen the improvements and the structure and the growth, as as you mentioned, where would you like to see the game go next in Japan? What what kind of structures would you put in place or what tweaks would you make to to try and improve things?
1: Yeah, having uh, having seen it come come so far in the last few years with um, more divisions, more teams, uh, more strength in depth, um, as as you mentioned that. It felt like back in the day, you know, if you if you if you saw off one or two bowlers, you could sort of cash in on the sort of the second, third change bowlers. Same with some teams that you felt that if you had one bat, you got one batsman out. You sort of into the tail from four or five. So teams definitely bat and bowl. I I think um, further down um, in 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 Division One anyway. As for what I'd like to like to see uh, in the future, it's it's hard to have sort of a on on the one hand there's sort of a wish list or wouldn't it be great if you know the some, some some things might not be sort of realistic or achievable like more grounds sort of having a ground in in Tokyo or Yokohama would be um and a, sort of a pavilion and a clubhouse and all those sort of those facilities what I what I would like to see is perhaps um the diversity um maintained in the league i think that's 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 one thing um, that's unique to playing cricket in Japan is that you could play against the Wyvern, predominantly Japanese team. Um, you've got several sort of Indian teams that you can play against as well. So coming up against different um, cricketing cultures in Japan, I think is a unique selling point of playing here. So I'd I'd, I'd hope that in the future that there's still there's still a uh, uh, teams or or players from from all over the world, and I'd like to see that maintained. So. Just, yeah, diversity of yeah, cool. Indian, Pakistani, Sri Lankan, Bangladeshi, Australian, Kiwi, um, just people from everywhere playing in Japan. I'd like to see that continue. Um, and, and, and maybe some clubs, including the one keeping, keeping sort of a, a unique culture as well. I think that adds to, to the richness.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think,
1: I hope that
0: having events like the embassy cup, which was where I last saw you back in the last year, I think hopefully things like that helps to introduce those communities to each other as well. Like we've seen the Nepalese community have really come through off the back of participating in the embassy cup. And they're now they're looking to get their teams into more competitions and stuff. And and hopefully that just helps bring that kind of melting pot together. Um, okay. Moving away from, from the off field and back onto the on field stuff. You had a pretty good year last year, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you averaged over a hundred in the JCL, um, Prior to that, it had taken you quite a long time to score your first 100. You seem to be getting a lot of 90s. Uh, and I remember you mentioning to me after you got that that first one that it was good to get that that monkey off your back, as it were. Um, was that something that had bothered you, getting that first 100? Or are you easier on the... Uh, more focused on the team's results and the personal mark do not bother you that much?
1: Yeah, it's a bit, bit, bit funny that. Um, as, as you mentioned, I got quite a few quite a few 90s, uh, I think there was one, maybe 2013, uh, I think I got 99 for the one bats in one game against Sano, um, tickled one down to fine leg, ran through and and, and, and the, the finger went up. So that was, um, <laughs> that could have, that could have um, kicked, kicked that little um, st- statistic in the bud early. Um, but to be honest, um, even that game, I, I didn't know I was on 99. Um, I, I never know really what I'm on. Um, after after yeah. 50 when when it goes up so i've been to 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 ask what i'm what i'm on and sometimes the drinks come out and and someone in the team says do you want to know what you're on and um i always try to make a point of saying no, i'm not 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 bothered um so on the one hand yeah of course it was nice to, to finally get that hundred again i didn't i didn't know I was, I was near it um but uh given the way given the way i bat uh, I like to think i do I do sort of put the team's interests first um, and and think about what's 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 going to give the the team one bat in this case that the best chance of, of of winning the game. and um I think usually that involves me trying to uh, bat deep, bat deep bat as long bat as long as possible um, most of the time so yeah when it when it came around, um it it was nice short, sure, but um it's not something that uh, too fussed about like last year again. I think uh, I got a, a, a 98 and hold out on the boundary in, in one game. Wasn't too fussed, uh, and then I think I got 97 not out against uh, the Falcons. Uh, and yeah, um, I think you can see me at the end when um, my batting partner uh, hits the winning runs. I'm absolutely chuffed. Like we we, we chased down 250. It's a tie game that one. That's way more satisfying. Um, people said, I, and you're a bit, bit pissed off. You, you, you got stranded on 97 and, um, not at all. I was just really chuffed, really, really proud. Glad that it wasn't in vain. (laughs) Yeah. Really proud to have just, um, saw, saw that one, saw that one home.
0: So the way that your record's gone, particularly last year, were you doing anything differently? Um, I mean, from looking at your, your numbers, you seem to very rarely get low scores. So how do you go about approaching the start of your innings and what, is there any like little tricks that you might do or methods approach you might take that other people could learn from,
1: do you think? Um, honestly, I, I, I don't know how last year came about. (laughs) I, I remember the year before I, I didn't really score too many runs. And I distinctly remember that going, traveling down to the first game last, last April, I was taking the Shinkansen, um, down to Fuji. I was just sat there pretty convinced I was going to get out first ball. I was, uh, I was pretty confident that, uh, I had forgotten how to hold a bat and I'd sort of made, made peace, um, with myself that, uh, I was just going to have a good day out and if I got one run or, um, got, um, survived a ball, um, that would be progress. Um, so possibly by making peace with that, um, it kind of just sort of emptied, cleared the mind, I hadn't really the pressure off yourself, Put the pressure up then. um, it's yeah. cricket's such a, such a mental game. Um, you might come back to that question a bit later. Um, well, it takes us
0: straight into it actually, um, really because, you know, preseason anxiety is something that, uh, got you onto another popular cricket podcast, uh, the great Crickler is perhaps a show that people who listen to this might also listen to. And, and you wrote a letter into them a few years back now about your uh, dreams you were having before the start of the season, if I remember. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Just, yeah, almost, almost every year, um, just a few weeks before the, the, the start of the cricket season, we just have that common cricketing, batting, anxiety dream of being next into bat and not having, um, not having, being able to find the gear or not being able to make it out into the middle. And it's quite common. It's well documented, I think a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of batsmen uh, have 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 that dream so this one time just um, it was it was different and uh, I'd actually managed to get out to the middle I was, I was having a net session or something like that and um, first time in my dreams I was sort of cutting the ball everywhere and I thought there's some, some humor could be derived uh, if I sent that into them and and um, also um, added on that uh, the next innings i played a pre horrible preseason game where I scratched around and got about 10 runs playing nothing like I did in, in my dream. Um, so I said, should I perhaps, uh, perhaps retire? That was actually just before I, I did score that first hundred. So must, must've been, must've been a psychological breakthrough. Um, so yeah. yeah, that was uh, entertaining. Um, I sometimes still think about writing in some other stories, observations, um, that they could derive, derive some humor from, I think, uh, here in Japan and in England, um, we've got a few maybe. Yeah, I reckon. After hours anecdote, a few stories. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, look, um, we'll move away from the club stuff because as mentioned again, at the top of the show, you were the 66th player to represent Japan, uh, at international level. Um, that came in 2012. So just a year after you'd, um, sort of settled in Japan and your first tournament was the world cricket league division eight in Samoa, uh, which was, uh, was 50 over stuff. What was it like, first of all, being picked? Um, and secondly, going to Samoa.
1: Uh, I think it, it still is. It, it's one of, it's one of my highlights uh, when I look back on, on my cricketing experiences around, um, here in Japan and in England, it'll, it'll remain one of my, um, most cherished memories, that trip, um, being, being picked first of all, was again, kind of surreal, cause I was still quite new to Japan. And, um, this whole cricket thing was, was, was just still playing and traveling up to Sano or down to Fuji was still often quite hard to believe that, you know, I was strapping on the pads in here in Japan. And yeah, going, going to Samoa again, just adding to sort of the, I can't believe I'm playing cricket in somewhere like this for, for Japan. Mm. Um, just a stunningly beautiful place and really, really fond memories of the cricket as well. Um, we were really competitive in that tournament. Um, the, the
0: team. Yeah. Well, I, I had a look back at some of the scorecards, so I cut you off. I had a look and you're playing a group, which included, uh, Belgium, Bhutan and Suriname. Um, so I think you played Suriname in the first game and then in your second match, you're up against Bhutan and continuing the theme of you making nineties made 91 in your second game for Japan against Bhutan. Um, and we won all of those games. So top that group, um, what was the team environment like?
1: Yeah, I was was just going to say, one of my memories of that is that a really, there's an excellent team atmosphere on that trip. Um, We had, I think we were led by Tatsuro Chino back then, Um, but just a, just a combination of some senior players, um, senior Japanese guys, some senior foreign guys as well, uh, and sort of just a blend of of youth and experience uh, as well as uh, Japanese players and um, uh, a few foreign born players. So just yeah really fond memories not just of the cricket but of the the team bonding outside at dinners and breakfast and and everything like that so we we did really well um we, we got to the semis um it, it was a shame to not to not get to the final and i think that would have gotten us through to the next um next division or the next tournament mm-hmm. so bittersweet in many ways that yeah wonderful wonderful tournament but uh we missed out on, on, perhaps being able to do that again, uh, a few months later in another part of the world. So
0: yeah, it's a shame because the world cricket league, I, I thought was, it was a brilliant structure, a great setup for those who don't know. It was started in 2007 with initially five divisions as a way of 50 over world cup qualifiers. Um, it grew at one point, there was as many as eight divisions and, and actually that, that tournament there in 2012 was the last division eight tournament that there was. And it was the last time Japan played in the World Cricket League. They they slowly cut down the divisions again. And in 2019, they they scrapped it all together, which is a massive shame. But, um, you know, playing against even those countries that I just mentioned, you know, Belgium, Bhutan, Suriname, play the semi-final against Ghana. And yeah, they, they got over the line uh, in that game. And then you ended up playing Belgium again for the third place playoff, uh, which is again a, a game that uh, Japan won, but is more famous for Mr. Alex Patmore becoming the first Japanese men's centurion. So he made 101 in that game. Do you remember much about that?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I still remember that, that, that there might've been something to play. We thought there might've been something to play for in that game, because I think the third place team, uh, had there been another division eight tournament the following year, I think that was still up in the air to win that game would have, would have allowed us to have stayed in division eight. I think the, the finalists went uh, up into division seven. So there was, although it was a third place game, there was, it seemed like there might've been something to play for to, to stay in Division division 8 for the following year. And yeah, it was um, quite a lot of the the mornings in Samoa. Um, you'd get sort of morning rains. Um, and so the, the ball would be, it'd be quite uh, quite slippery. The ball would be sort of hooping a bit. And I think we, we ended up slipping to about 20-odd for five um, early on. Uh, I think I opened that game. So just watching uh, just a just a bit of a collapse on at the other end. So there was no no real thoughts of getting a big score, just sort of trying to take it again, trying to take it as deep as as possible. And I think I ended up uh, putting on a few runs with uh, Alex Miyagi. I think he might've been batting about seven. And um, we sort of steadied the ship. I'm going to pull up the scorecard.
0: So yeah, you've opened the batting. And he has come in at seven, correct? Alex has made 28 of 79 balls in that game. Um, and you guys, yeah, 39 for five and you guys put on 121.
1: Right. So, yeah, I remember, yeah, we were in, we were in a, a bit of bother and it was just sort of, uh, let's, let's sort of not think about, um, getting too huge a t- target and just sort of batting, batting time, just ticking, keeping the scoreboard ticking over, um, working up in sort of partnerships of 10 run, 10 run targets. And so, yeah, the, I think the conditions got a little bit easier, um, bowlers may be tired and um just just sort of stuck it out quite 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 close to the end i think um so yeah i i that that's that's again something that um i i'm, I'm quite proud of um doing that doing that day was not just to get the hundred but um it was more satisfying to sort of dig the team out of that hole um and and get it which allowed put us into a position to to win the game. I think we won won by about maybe twenty odd runs in the end.
0: Won by ten runs. 10. And uh, a young a young leg spinning sensation by the name of Mac Totteniama took five for fifty five. Yeah, against <clears throat> <one by> <throat> over the line. You, you finished that tournament um, as leading run scorer. You know, played against uh, some handy players in that tournament. Um, So coming out there is obviously quite impressive, uh, I guess good to know how satisfied you felt off the back of that but also any lasting memories from that tournament uh from many of those games
1: yeah it, it, it was satisfying to again bittersweet so knowing knowing that um you're that you did contribute to a couple of uh, uh wins for japan um that was that felt very good but at the same time um in in in, a, in the most important game, the semi-final against Ghana, uh, not being able to get in and uh, get us over the line um, was a, a big disappointment. Um, but yeah, looking at the teams, not just the ones that we played, but in the other side of the draw as well, there's obviously those Samoa, Vanuatu teams we played in the warm-up games uh, as well. So just um, just being at the ground because was all the grounds were next to each other and then seeing this this display of different colored kits, like the the Bhutan team, the Suriname team, Norway, I think there was, Ghana, um, Samoa, Vanuatu, all of these, all of these teams, again, it was just sort of, what a, an, an amazing uh, experience. And um, yeah, overall, just um, extremely fond memories. Just again, just would have been, would have been great to have won that semi final. Ghana, just uh strangled us really 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 choked us in that second innings from what i remember that we just couldn't score we couldn't um increase the rate and we didn't we didn't have to chase too many maybe 190 but uh none, none of our, uh, none of us could get in and um really mount, uh, mount a strong challenge so that's the one regret but overall yeah just um such a great trip i have one other one other regrets i have one other regrets that um um uh, that came just before the the bhutan game uh, in the group stage we had a we had a day off, um, we had a rest day, um, the, the day before the Bhutan game. So I took the opportunity to go snorkeling, uh, near the hotel in an absolutely beautiful, you know, South Pacific tropical waters, um, you do not get too much of that in the North sea, growing up in England. So I wanted to go out, I wanted to snorkel, see the coral reefs, all the, all the fish and that, so beautiful blazing, hot, sunny day. So I go, go in, I get this, get the snorkel rental and uh, don't worry about the sun cream because hey i'm going to be in the water right and uh snorkel for probably a good 40, 40 minutes to an hour around about sort of midday um staring down at the fish forgetting that uh my back is is floating along the top of the surface of the water and and so that mid afternoon i remember just um just looking down at my shoulders and my back and uh, it it's gone bright pink and in a bit of discomfort, in a bit of discomfort that evening and even during the night, couldn't sleep very, couldn't sleep very well because um, it was blistering. Didn't want to, too embarrassed to, to tell anybody about it. So even the next, even the next morning as we were warming up, it was, it was, I was thinking I'm going to have to tell someone, you know, I can't play uh, a bit similar to as an England player. In, I think it was the nineties, Chris Lewis, who um, had to miss a game with sunstroke because he didn't. Uh, top up his uh tongue grip on his head so I was, I was that was going through my mind as well you know people were watching on from home like following the scorecards at home it's like why are you not going to play this game well i went snorkeling and burned myself to a crisp so i remember even like going out to bat and just sort of taking guard and just patting the bat on the ground and just sort of feeling just intense pain in my shoulders and thinking this is this is awful We went off for rain, I think after a few overs, I might've been about 10 or something and just went to the, um, the drinks container and just, just started rolling sort of fizzy drink, fizzy cans of pop, so cold just on my shoulders to try and settle down the burn. But I think probably that, um, the feeling of embarrassment kind of made me more determined that I had to prove something and, and actually go and score some runs. So I managed to get 90 odd, I think, um off the off the back of yeah burning my burning my back to a crisp.
0: Well oh, that's that's pretty impressive. All right so then following on from that tournament the next one came pretty soon. I mean that was September 2012 and in sort of January February I think it was in 2013 there was a T20 regional tournament um in Auckland this time. Um and this time you know I guess perhaps, perhaps tougher opposition, perhaps a less favorable format for Japan. Um, one, four lost two. um, you got a half century against Indonesia in that event. Um, a couple of things I'd like to ask around that. I mean, what was it like, first of all, playing a second tournament so soon after the first one in a different format? Um, and you know, what had changed in that time?
1: Um, firstly, I, it. For me, it was just exciting. I, I, I'd, I'd love, i would loved the experience in Samoa so much. I was really looking forward to, um, to having another go, um, and, and, and to seeing another country as well. I've never been to New Zealand before. Uh, what changed in, in those, those few months? Um, I think we, well, we had, um, a couple of the senior Japanese players, um, Chino and, uh, Amigo, I don't think uh, were able to go on that trip. So we'd lost those, um, and then some, some rules had changed where the, the foreign born players weren't, weren't able to go as well. So, um, which from the previous trip was Jared Shearer, Daniel, me and, uh, Hanith Khan, so they weren't on that trip as well. So that, that team, the nucleus of the team that had done so well in Samoa was, was, was kind of, was kind of taken out for, uh, for different reasons. And I was, I was a big believer and I think Japan's gone back to this recently in, in you know, if, if you've got while preserving the, the Japanese identity of the team, having, having two or three committed uh, foreign born players who've, who've been here for a long time can raise the overall, overall standard um, of it. So we went into that tournament with a really inexperienced young team. Some of the names now look um, look quite impressive, like Taniyama, I think, and possibly Takada uh, and a couple of others who've gone on to better things. But at the time they were 16, 17. So. Mm going up against, I remember Fiji, for example, it was, it It did seem sort of men against boys, um, and referring back to those foreign born players, we just lacked, uh, lacked depth in the batting, um, in a big way. Mm. So that was a, that was a tough tournament. Um, I I ended up finding myself captaining, I think that, that uh, in that tournament, so it was quite, um, quite a, uh, quite a turnaround from, from somewhere a few, a few months before. Um, so, still an enjoyable trip, um, again, to be able to see another country. Uh, I have fond memories of a day out with um, uh, Takaro and Satoshi Nakano. Um, we, we 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 took a day out um, on a rest day, uh, went to Waiheke, Waiheke Island um, and, and, and spent a day around there. So, again, an opportunity to see another country um, play against, um, again, an opportunity to play against Papua New Guinea, for example. So, it, it's kind of nice to know you've played against a team, but Made it all the way to the World Cup last mm. year as well, so some fond memories.
0: A lot of the same players as well, probably.
1: Yeah, they were they were still up and coming then, so yeah, fond memories from that trip. But yeah, much much tougher the cricket, probably the format as well, um, and 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 overall, um, yeah, it was it was it was tough to back up from from Smo six months before,
0: mm. and that ended up being your last tournament for Japan. Uh, you weren't able to go on the 2014 trip to Lismore from what well, I remember sort of work was he changed jobs, I think, and having some challenges. I mean, I look back at it now and in the space of what, 15 months, Japan played three international tournaments. Um, uh, I think we've played three international tournaments since then, <laughs> um, in like eight years. So there was certainly a lot more cricket being played back then. And, and how much of the challenge as you got older and, and of sort of settled into Japan and, and into. A career how much harder has it been to balance sort of cricket and work
1: yeah i think even in there was also a tour in 2013 to england as well It wasn't an official yeah ornament was. yeah
0: it wasn't an icc tournament but it was just a tour
1: yeah there's there yeah uh, tournaments and and trips were coming thick and fast at that time um so when i when i played in in in, in samoa and, and auckland um i was yeah it was my first year of, of being in japan um, I was, I was over here meant more for the experience than, than the career. So I was, um, I was, I was younger, I was, I was, I was, teaching English and I could just, um, sort of take, take time off work without, um, really, um, worrying too much about my career prospects, obviously hit the, um, hit the, hit the bank balance pretty hard, taking unpaid two weeks leave. And by the time that 2014 Lismore tournament came around, um, I was, I was close to, to going back to England again to sort of resume my. My teaching career, but uh, managed to secure a job um, back in, related to to my um, teaching qualifications. So I had a, um, secured a history and geography sort of teaching teaching position. And whilst yeah, working at a school, you often get you you get pretty good holidays. Um, when a tournament falls during term time, um, it can be harder to to get that time off. So obviously, there's there's pros and cons to being a teacher. I'd, I'd been at the job for about uh, three or four months. I didn't really feel I didn't have my feet under the table um, to then sort of turn around and ask for um, two weeks of, of unpaid leave in the middle of the term. So that that was a shame. I would have would have you know um, I was still involved in the, in in the squad at that that point. I think the MCC came over just before, and I was still involved in in those matches. So yeah, it's um, the the career started to prioritise over being able to. sort of take off and, and and play cricket so i've immense respect admiration for the boys who can you know who, who who sacrifice devote so much of their time to cricket where they have to take time off work uh, away from their families um often yeah unpaid leave um that's that's a huge commitment so yeah that 2014 one just just came too soon into a new job had it been a couple years later i, I probably would have uh, i felt I had enough credit in the bank uh, at the school to to say hey can i can I go, go, go play Japan? And so I do, I do regret not going on that trip.
0: So doing, having seen how things have progressed over the last few years with the Japan side, is that, you know, something you still have ambitions for getting, you know, getting back into that and playing for Japan again? Is it an interest or have you kind of moved on from that now?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd, l- I'd love to play for Japan again. Um, just the yeah, act to actually, to actually play and represent and, and contribute, but, um, I think the the likelihood is that there's there's too much in the way in terms of career wise and, and balancing sort of balancing work life work life commitments. Um, also, I think probably the game's moved on in that you know the focus is is on 2020 tournaments and uh, while I still think I can I can contribute uh, in that. Um, perhaps there's there's enough boys enough enough players to um, to do a good enough job. So uh, I think um, compared certainly to that 2013 tournament. There's a lot more strength and depth, uh, in Japan to, to out on the team. Maybe, maybe if the ICC went back to 50 over cricket and might have something more to offer. Um, so yeah, it'd be, mm. it'd, be, it'd, be it'd be, great. it will be, it'd be wonderful to play again. Um, it'd be su- such an honor, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that ship probably has sailed now.
0: Okay. Well, look, we'll, we'll wrap up there and we'll go on to some, uh, cricket specific and Japan specific questions that I like to ask all my my guests when they come on um so you mentioned right at the start of this chat about some of the players you've come up against and or have come through some of the clubs back in England uh can you tell us the best player that you've played with or against
1: so yes, i think I'm, I'm i'm pretty chuffed i've got this far into the interview without having dropped a name or two yet so they might just come out in <laughs> come out in floods it's something in, in a wave it's something that uh, we obviously gave um the one bats we gave Richie Bracefield some some stick for for his podcast <laughs> last uh, for his episode last uh, last season. So um, this is probably the bit where it will all come out thick and fast, and uh, I'll be expecting um, retribution in kind um, from the from people like Richie and Jared for sure. Um, in, in Japan, um, I think I've been lucky to have opened the batting with um, two um, two extremely talented um, batsmen, and we've complemented each other well. Firstly, Gavin and he used to be the captain of the Wombats and uh, play for Japan or well, he played for Japan also, uh, and then pretty much just as, as he left Tokyo, Rich, Richie Bracefield came in. So it was good to see him last year. I think finally sort of show us what he could do on a regular basis. So in, in terms of batting and partnerships in Japan, um, I've, I've been lucky to, to bat with those two guys, the Wombats um, for, for most of my time here. Um. Yeah, back, back in England, um, even, even in Norfolk, even the back quarter of Norfolk, there was some, back in the day, some ridiculous money floating around, um, league cricket. Um, we, as I said, I mentioned played for Vauxhall Mallards. Um, they no longer exist actually, but, um, they were around long enough for Ollie Stone to come through just, um, England bowl, Ollie Stone okay. to come through, um, and he, he played, um. When I was still there, he was, he was about 12 or 13 years old, um, so still pretty young. But there were some, some silly players, just even in sort of, not even the, in the, the premier division, division one. I um, remember we, we came up against Ross Taylor, um, uh, playing for the opposition. He hit some of the hugest sixes at tiny little postage stamp grounds in sort of rural Norfolk, and he did that to us as well. I think we were lucky we actually managed to get him out for about 60-odd um, he managed to walk past one from our slow left armor and, uh, managed to sort of clean him up with the stumping. So me and my, uh, he's a good friend of mine, the bowler, and we can still talk about, um, the, the time he managed to, to bamboozle Ross Taylor. Um, we, yeah, at, at, just at my club, we, um, we had two overseas pros. Um, quite a lot of them in those days came from South Africa. So our second team overseas pro, I think in 2006 was uh, um, Longwaite yeah, okay. the left arm left arm left arm seamer. He went on to some some success for South Africa in the one day uh, ODI format. So um, that was pretty interesting to keep to him. He was he was pretty tasty. Um, but yeah, there's it's a weird quirk of of English cricket, sort of provincial cricket back in the day, that you had these sort of benefactors, chairman who'd be willing to to pay possibly up to like 20,000 pounds, $20,000 to, uh, an overseas player, um, which, which has its uh, pros and cons, you know, some would just come over for the, um, for the, for the, for the cash and not really involve themselves in the club, um, the the, 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 best one that we had and then for my cricket development was, um, at the Vauxhall Mallards was a guy called Pierre Brain from South Africa. I think he's actually in Namibia coach now. Yeah, yes, um, but uh, he really involved himself and and you know his, his methods, and I, I believe they still are now. Um, some people get on board with them, and, and some people don't quite fancy it. And that he he wanted everyone to work really really hard at training. Being 15, 16 year old um, into cricket, me and a couple of other uh, boys similar my age, and we absolutely loved it. The fact that he absolutely you know, go hard at us and fielding drills or um with the throwdowns might sort of really push our limits. And it wasn't for everyone. He would just wanted to come on a Wednesday after Wednesday evening after work and have a few gentle throwdowns. So he obviously ruffled feathers, but um he he was um very very good for my cricketing development. Um and then when I went up to went up to play in Sheffield, um, playing in the Yorkshire League, uh, I was lucky enough to to play at a time when a bunch of, bunch of players were, were, were coming through, um, in New Yorkshire at the time. So, um, the likes of Bear Stowe, um, Adam Ly, uh, Alex Lees, or I think ashmal Shazad as well. So all, all of these sort of players in and around, um, New Yorkshire and who, he got, uh, got a go for, for England, Gary Balance as well. Um, can, can say that, uh, got to, got to sort of see them up close from behind the stumps and how they went in the back. About the business, and then at and then at Sheffield Collegiate, I joined them when I was, uh, I, was I was nineteen in two thousand and seven, and it was great timing. Um, they they they'd been quite a successful club They sort of won the national club championship about five or six years previously, um, but their wicket keeper had just retired or had just moved away for work, so I was able to go straight into their into their first team in two thousand and seven, and we had a we had a game. Um, uh, pre-season game at Chesterfield, um, just actually North Derbyshire, um, and I, I turn up and there's a bunch of um, sort of grizzled older older men, older gentlemen, sort of in their late 30s. So they're a team that were sort of um, on on the on the on the decline then. And I was just uh, that was just a young lad in the changing room. looked about looked about 12 or 13. Didn't think much of it. And we'd won the toss. we were we were we we're going. We were having a bat. And, um, he starts padding up and I didn't realize he was actually playing for us uh, that day. It's like, we were sending out a 12 year old to, to, to play this first team cricket. Turns out he was uh, 16 and turns out he was Joe Root. So, um, by the time I, I came out to bat at seven, yeah. uh, he was still there on 80 odd and, uh, even <laughs> he looked like, uh, yeah, he looked very young back in the day. Um, Yeah. I remember when he made his England debut, it was just constant talk about how young he looked. When I I walked out to bat at seven or eight or something like that, he just sort of fixed me a look in the eye and said, this is what we're going to do. And it was, it was disconcerting but uh, I think he was about 15 or 16, but, uh, there was the look in his eyes, that uh, you realize, okay, there's, there's something about this, uh, about this. lad. So yeah, I'd probably have to say, um, it, it was about three or four years, um, seeing him come and um, playing with him at Sheffield Collegiate, um. And, and then seeing obviously what he's gone on to, um, uh, what, well, again, I can look back on that and say that was a, a privilege to, uh, to play alongside, uh, and sort of see that up. Like. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Any more
0: up your slavery or are you, are you done?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should have, uh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta think about the abuse I'll be getting from, from some people. So, um, try and try and leave it at that. It's all, it's all condensed into one, laugh, totally condensed into one segment of the podcast, but, um, but on, on the other hand, maybe some people, you know, they, they, that's what they do want to hear. They, they we all have sort of interesting. Stories
0: oh, I, I, I think it is. I think it's great. Um, people don't know this sort of stuff, you know, about the guys that they're playing with and against in Japan. If have got experience playing with and against guys of, of that caliber and, you know, it brings me to my next question, uh, which I've asked everyone that's quite good answers from this one is the best thing you've ever learned from a coach. It may not necessarily have been from a coach. It may have been from a, a teammate or or even just someone you came up against in a league game once? Any, any nuggets of gold that you might have got from, from anyone along the way?
1: So I'll go back to that, um, the, the, the overseas pro player coach that I had at Oxford Maller's Pierre de Um He also took on our, um, our county age group as well. And uh, we, we had, uh, as a minor county, we often had an inferiority complex when we played against some of the uh, first-class county juniors. And, um, I think we're playing away at Leicestershire, um, who oh, watch out name drop, uh, Stuart Broad was playing that day. Uh, <laughs> we, we had an inferior, inferiority complex against any of these um, first class counties, he saw that in us that we didn't believe we could actually go out there and, and perform on the field. So he pointed over to the, uh, the Leicestershire group and said, uh, do you think there's anything different about you and, um, reminded reminded us that they also um, performed um, natural sort of human bodily functions, just like uh, the rest of us do. And, and that's something I'd, I'd also like, um, I don't know, maybe it's different now for, for Japan, but I remember back at uh, in, in Auckland, um, I think we felt bad against some of the teams. I remember just sitting at breakfast and the, the Papua New Guinea team or the Vanuatu team would come down for breakfast and a lot of the boys would sort of stare at them in wonder, and I think that would be I think that would be a, a good tip for many of the, the players here in Japan as well, to remind yourselves that at the end of the day, it's, it's 22 yards. It's, it's play, play the next ball on merits Don't, don't sort of play the reputation. I'm trying to remind myself of that um, at times. Yeah,
0: definitely. Okay. A couple of slightly random questions, favorite shot.
1: Other people probably say the forward defensive, maybe, um, I'll expand that into perhaps a cover drive seems to go all right in Japan, um, Back in England on slightly faster wickets, I I did like the cut and the pull, but um, in Japan probably, it probably have to be the cover drive, I imagine.
0: Uh, Your first thought after being dismissed.
1: (laughs) Uh, First thought after being dismissed. uh, I think it, it varies. Um, sometimes it can be sort of frustration with yourself, um, disbelief that you, um, played that particular shot or didn't execute it right. Um, other, other times, yeah, yeah, it, it can rankle. it. can sort of, uh, hold over you for, for quite some time. Um, but I think as I've gotten a little bit older, there are some, sometimes where I, I can park it, uh, as soon as I've walked off the pitch and then, and in Japan, there's usually something to be getting on with. You probably gotta go give someone throwdowns or score or do something like that. So, um, prone to the occasional temper tantrum for sure. But again, in Japan, uh, you don't have changing rooms to sort of hide that behavior, um, you can't hide it away, so. <laughs> And uh, You have to sort of keep it in check most of the time. Not perfect, but uh, most of the time, I think I just about get away with it. Real highlight, uh, I um, just mentioned throughout this podcast. Really, I'm, I'm just i I feel fortunate, privileged to played cricket in a bunch of um, amazing locations around the world. Uh, back in England, um, just playing at some 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 wonderful grounds. Same here in Japan to play under you know the foothills of Mount Fuji. The opportunity to play in Samoa and in, in australia and new zealand there's been real highlights playing for japan obviously Samoa that that really stands out um playing a couple of games for for norfolk um of the senior men's men's team um back in sort of mid-2000s um is, is is probably like the highest um i managed to manage to get so uh and then yeah meeting players along the way whether they went on to have amazing careers but then also just meeting meeting people with such interesting stories about their their creative experience here in japan so all of those things wrapped up it's hard to hard to pick just one
0: yeah cool um is there any loss that still particularly rankles
1: there is actually there is there is one loss here in japan that, that does still rankle it goes back to the uh first season 2012 that i played here and it's uh Quite a bit of an ironic bookends. It started uh, the first game against Adore with uh, one of our players mistakenly given uh, Jared run out, um, and then fast forward a few months to the the JCL final against Sano, and uh, we only had one neutral umpire that day, Chris Thurge, I think it was. So we had to self umpire uh, from Square Leg, and um, we'd we'd uh, we'd batted first, and we'd got about two hundred and forty odd, I think, so quite a quite an imposing imposing score and, uh, Sano, Sano team back then was very different. Um, but, uh, Daniel Mee, uh, also of Japan, uh, national team mm-hmm. fame at the time, uh, early on in his innings, um, he was run out by, well, he was, he was run out by quite a, quite, quite, quite a distance and, um, managed to, uh, not through no forward of his own, um, still pick himself off, dust him down and face the next four and went on to play a match winning, uh, innings. I think, um, <laughs> if you'd had the live streaming back up then that, uh, might, might've gone a bit viral. So there are other ways to lose the games where, you know, a decision doesn't go your way or, you know, someone nicks off and doesn't walk in while well, you can, you can feel upset about those, that particular one. Um, and, and the manner of it does, does rankle a bit. So it would have been
0: not, not the first time that that particular run out has been mentioned on the podcast. <laughs> so yeah funniest thing you've ever seen on the cricket field
1: funniest thing um this was this was back in sheffield um this this bowler um uh for the opposition uh he'd, he'd been he'd been sledging us all day um he'd he'd he'd, he'd been sledging me as far well as i've been batting he'd, he'd dropped me um at, at cover and then he went out to bat he went out to open got a first ball duck um and then you thought his his stay couldn't get any worse. But he had to go and act as a runner for his captain later on. It, by the by then the game had gone. And he was so he was so cheesed off with proceedings that he'd forgot to ground his bat um whilst their their captain was, was taking the strike. So we got the message through to the spinner to bowl a rank wide, which I collected sort of two feet outside off stump and just went back to the stumps and whipped the bales off. And if, so the next five or six seconds, all of us with that that pitch of laughter um a certain a certain kind of laughter where you're all you're all cackling at the um, hilarity of it all before firstly the batsman and then the runner realized what had happened um, uh, I never seen sort of ten ten eleven guys just falling rolling around on the pitch in, in laughter at that point where you've got three hundred on the board there are a hundred for eight and then that happens um it's it's um delighting in, in someone else's misfortune is unfortunately part of cricket sometimes, but after the game, it was all, okay. yeah, it was all good. He had, he was able to laugh about it and they, they made him down the dirtiest pint I've ever seen as well. So, um, he could see the funny side of it and his captain did a, a couple,
0: that's uh, a couple minutes later. Classic club cricket. I think you've answered this already favorite format to play and to watch.
1: Yeah. Just to, to be able to watch the test cricket. You're lucky in Japan with a lot of English, uh, with, with the test cricket that it starts at 7 PM. So it's, you actually actually get to watch yeah, more test cricket. Here in Japan and back in England, it's always on at a, at a good time. Uh, yeah. T20, I can take it or leave it to be honest.
0: Every teammate.
1: I'm going to have to say Jared Shearer, uh, good. just for, uh, making the Fuji days worthwhile, um, sometimes, uh, it comes out with the odd gen every now and then.
0: Can you name one innings played by someone else that you wish you could have played yourself?
1: Uh, I know this is just sounds like picking your mates, but I think that's a common theme on, on, the, on these podcasts. So, uh. <laughs> I'll I'll name check Richie Bracefield. Um, some of the innings that uh, he plays at the other end makes my job uh, a lot easier as well. So he takes some of the the, the run rate pressure off of me. Uh, last year he was bombing quite a few. Uh, the Falcons game, he didn't he didn't get his highest score. He got eighty odd that day, but that that day he batted and batted beautifully.
0: Okay, we'll move on to some Japan specific questions just to finish things up. So you've been there over a decade now. What's your favourite thing about Japan?
1: There's, there's so much to, there's so much to like about Japan. Um, just the thing that comes off the top of my head is, 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 is how, how convenient everything is here, um, in terms of you can feel safe, you you know, when the trains are running, um, and, and all of those things that perhaps when if I ever do leave Japan, um, I'll certainly miss, um, you know, leaving my leaving my bike, sort of unattended outsider, uh, outside a shop and, you know, having a high degree of confidence, that it's still going to be there in uh, a couple of hours. Still be there.
0: Any particular place, any one place that a visitor has to go to?
1: If you're into your, your winter sports or you're into hiking in the summer, I'd, I'd really recommend going to Hakuba uh, in Nagano prefecture. Um, it's got some of the best, uh, best, um, skiing or snowboarding, um, conditions, arguably in the world. And then in the summer as well, it's, um, uh, extremely great place to go and get out of the, um, get out of, escape the heat. So I'll say Hakuba, Nagano, Japan.
0: Still not been. Um, favorite food over here?
1: Again, I, I try to think about when I leave Japan, what am I going to miss first thing or what will I, what will I want to have if I, if I don't leave in Japan and uh, it's got to be sushi for me. That's the thing I used to, used to, used to want to have, um, whenever I could come over here. So yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, any particularly suspect food that you might have encountered in Japan?
1: It's not a food per se, but uh, the first time I had amazake, uh, here in Japan, that took me, um uh, that took me by surprise. Like it's a real sort of, um, fermented uh, rice liquor, and, um, it was actually my, it was at Hatsumode at, um, Kamakura for the the new year festival. And I went with my grandparents when I first got here and uh, my grandfather passed me this, uh, this, 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 this drink, Anazake. And, uh, one sip of that, it, it was to try and get to the bottom of that cup was a real, um, was a real effort Long, and I didn't, longest. Didn't, didn't want to let him down. And so I managed to just about finish that off. I've had it since, and it's, uh, it's not my favorite drink. I can just about, just about, just about stomach it these days.
0: Okay. And your last one, what's your favorite Japanese word or phrase and its meaning?
1: I like, um, hearing the, sort of the the cricket phrases that I grew up with. of the mundane, inane (laughs) cricket phrases, but coming out of the mouths of the Japanese voice. So just remembering, um, you know, chance, goody back in the, back in the day, playing for Japan, just hearing. (laughs) You know, just the, just the inane encouragement boys would give, it translates across languages. So yeah, there's a chance coming. It's a chance, Kurio. Um, shoo choo, shoo choo, like concentrate, concentrate, just these, 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 this inane banter that, um, it translates across, across languages and cultures. Um, so they stand out to me from the cricket. Yeah. I think that stuff's great.
0: Cool. Alex, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast, mate. It's been great to, to chat and to hear your story and, um. Yeah, look, season's coming up. I hope you have a have a good good one this year, and uh, I'm sure I'll catch up with you on the field some more soon.
1: Thanks thanks for having me on, Alan. I um, look forward to, to hearing uh, Series 2. Series 1 was really enjoyable.
0: Nice one. Thanks, buddy. That concludes Episode 4 of Season 2. I hope you enjoyed hearing what Alex has to say about his time playing cricket in Japan. Remember that if you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could give it a rating on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Or even go one better and write a review if you're on Apple Podcasts, which would definitely cheer me up, as long as it's a nice review. The purpose of this pod is really to grow the fan base of Japan cricket, so any ratings and reviews would just help other people to find the show and hear all about the great things happening on and off the fields in Japan. Thanks as always, and until next time, arigatou gozaimashita.